1: Welcome back to Lantern Rue Cycling Podcast, supported by Lacole here with my co-host Benji Nyssen for the Giro d'Italia Stage 15 recap. We will also have, at the end of this podcast, a Veltro Burgos Stages 3 and 4 recaps. If you're listening on podcast players on YouTube, that will be a separate video. Today's stage is the stage that goes into Slovenia. I thought one force again, the man we picked yesterday from Grado to Gorizia, 146 Ks. They do a circuit with a... Quite a nasty climb, one7 k is 8.1%. And then there's a the last climb. The last of those circuit climbs finishes about 17 mm, k's to go. Then they've got a little 600-meter roller at 8.1%. The circuit climb actually has some like 14% pinches in it, and a really steep 400, 600-meter section. But we called Sagan Benji. We're in the Malia Ciclamino right now. But before the stage, he said they weren't interested really. They're just going to go for the Ciclomino points. It's all abandoned this morning. So a bit of a blow for the race, both of those news coming out. And then there was further blows when the stage initially kicked off.
0: Yes, we had, uh, well, the first attempts for the breakaway in the first 500 meters after the race starting off officially. And we had a crash in the peloton. Like directly, the race was on, boom, people are down. It was a pretty uh, a pretty severe crash, but you got to keep in mind they started at a spot where... In the first kilometer, they go on to this long bridge or long like road with water around it. So the only way to get to that point is from the start of that uh, road and from the end of that road. So probably not the easiest place to get access to. And because of the crash, they decided to, uh, to neutralize the race. And that means that the people that had, had roughly 10 meters trying to get away from the peloton were angry at the commissaire for neutralizing the race. But I was considering, well, perhaps there's a good reason to this. Likely there's a good reason to this because we're only 500 meters in. It's not the worst thing in the world if we neutralize the race here, personally. And eventually, the reasons behind it are honestly quite simple. And I've got this from Paul Watson, a UCI commissaire that posted this on Twitter. As a UCI commissaire, we must stop the race now for no medical cover left. So basically, um, let's say that they need x amount of ambulances and they've got that same amount of ambulances in the race if they let the race go on and five kilometers later a group crashes and they need another ambulance they've they're in trouble the race is unsafe at that point so they're doing this to ensure that any incidents following this will have the necessary medical attention and considering it didn't really have almost any effect to the race i was completely fine with it do you have a special take on a the situation or no, engineered? not
1: really. It seems like the smartest option. Yes, there's always going to be someone who's disadvantaged by this being the riders who got actually got into the initial break. No guarantee they would have gone, but yeah, I think they had to make that decision. It was just uh, if you look at the photos we've provided, you go and watch the start of the race, you'll see what Benji means about it being a narrow one way. Bridge they're on. There's a waterway next to it so they couldn't bring ambulances from the other side. Uh, the abandoners that came out of that were Nathanael Barane hurt his left shoulder, looked like a collarbone for Cofetus. Real shame for him, as well as Emmanuel Buchman. He was sixth on GC. The poor guy. It's a real shame. He seems to always have bad luck abandoning. Um, he hurt his face pretty badly, cut up his mouth, it seemed. Concussion, also, I think,
0: but I'm not a doctor. concussion.
1: But he obviously hit his his head and that was it. So they pulled him out, which is a shame, as well as Jos van Emden for Yumbo Isma, who maybe would have had a good result in the last TT and has actually been pretty strong all throughout this year. So not a great start. And, yeah, we just saw the riders all lined up at the front waiting for the race to kick off again. And as it did, maybe 20 minutes later or more, we saw Sagan sprinting straight away. and It was a battle between him and Gaviria. He's trying to mark Gaviria going for the Chiclamino points because there was the intermediate sprint points with 53Ks done. Those two just neutralized each other. He sat up and then just a huge breakaway go went, and a strong one too. Have you got the list of who was in that break, Benji?
0: Yes, we had two riders from Alpha and Phoenix, Dries de Bond and Oscar Erizebeck. We've got Simone Consani, the lead out of Viviani, in this breakaway for Kofidis. uh Lars van den Berg, van der Berg, my bad, for, I think, Grupama, Quentin Hermans was there for Wanty, Dani, and Van Hoeken were there for the team of Lotto, we had Cataldo and Torres for Movistar, Nick is on for uh, whatever Sunweb is called again, DSM, <laughs> and Campenarts for Quebec together with Walshite, and I think also Wisniewski writes for that team now, Mollema for Trek and Milano for UAE so a pretty large breakaway definitely and a breakaway with riders that well Mollema said yesterday that he'd been focusing on the smaller climbs the punchy climbs because on the big climbs well those don't come into play in the Ardennes which he was training for and that was the reason that he wasn't so great on the climbs so far in this Giro so I thought Mollema's in the break we've got hills in this race perhaps this should fit him better according to what he said yesterday so that's one of the things Things like Campanard, we've seen him attack so, so many times in Breakaway so far. He was going to try something. And if he attacks, he's going to be just before a hill somewhere to make sure he's got a bit of a gap on the others with someone else perhaps to make sure he can benefit off of that as he's not the best climber in the group on paper. Nick Yazan, I think he's won a stage in the Tour de France a Giro. few ago. He won a rainy stage for okay. a big
1: break in the Giro, uh, I yeah. think. Seated sprinter specialist. um He's the man I had when I saw this break uh, I thought it fit him perfectly he won a yep. stage and he's won a stage in the welter in twenty nineteen the man hes usually a good lead out because he seeded sprints, but in a group like this he can win and uh yeah it's the break went a bit dis- i got a I, you can probably hear it I was disappointed frankly this, this stage didn't live up to what it could be I'm sure r c s are pretty disappointed Benji and I might talk about it afterwards, but Sunday stage, yesterday's Onkelan I wouldn't have called it epic by any stretch. And then you've got Sagan and Bora saying don't care about it either. And uh, Israel didn't chase for Chimelay, which I thought was disappointing too. They're, uh, they could have, if I was Chimelay, I would have been- wanted them to chase as well, given that we've got Nitzolo dropping out too. So the sprint field's weakened even further. Ineos took up the mantle of chasing with like a gap of 10 minutes. They let that go up to 14, 15, and uh, everyone pretty much switched off. I think the action, so we knew the break was winning 100% from like straight away, especially when you've got the the riders who might be winning this stage, Gavita uh, in particular and Viviani they've sent lead-out men into the break, which means they ain't going to chase in Consoni and Molano, as well as, I mean, Quebecer. hats off to them, Volscheid, Viznowski, and Campanac getting three in there. It's not easy to do that, uh, especially right off, off the gun. But when did the first attacks start coming out of the break, Benji? Was it VC, really? It was about 22 to go. Or was it a little bit earlier?
0: Yeah, I think that was the the main one. I'd say that could offer an opportunity of doing something because beforehand the break was working relatively well with the fact that some teams had teammates, so that always helps with the group yeah. actually doing something. And like to be honest, they had thirty minutes; they didn't really have to work too much to to, to stay away from that point onwards. But well, we had that attack from Arts and I think the initial reaction to that Cataldo. was from uh, Cataldo. Yes, but. That didn't really seem to go anywhere because it seems like they got caught and Campanards had to try again. And then it was Torres from Movistar who made the move and was in the wheel. And we also saw Rizabek be in that group as well. And those three actually got a pretty serious gap because Cataldo was at the front of the second group and he wasn't going to take over. And then you've got two other Quebec riders in that group also not going to take over. And who's going to take over? Everybody's going to look at one team with two riders there. That's Van Hook and Aldani. And that's exactly what they did. They looked at Lotto Sudel and they waited and they said, okay, you've got two riders, offer someone, okay. And the sacrifice was made. And eventually it seems like we saw Aldani riding for Van Hooker, which I found a bit weird because we've seen Aldani climb we well in Provence and he's got a sprint. And he's quick. And yesterday I quick. said he was a chance, or an opportunist for the actual sprint today if it comes down to a real sprint. Yeah, so- for sure, top five. Perhaps it's there's a reasoning behind. It. Perhaps he wasn't feeling so good. So there's all those reasons. But logically, I would have said, okay, I think that Oldani can climb with the likes of a arts on this climb, for example, and Van Hooker as well. But in the end, the result is more suited for Oldani in the sprint itself. If it comes down to a small sprint, so a bit of a weird choice. But it probably has some reason behind it that we aren't completely aware about. I guess. And yeah, they started chasing. 15k's
1: 15, 15 to go, Torres gets dropped. So a bit weird from Movistar too. It's like, which one of them is stronger? Neither Torres nor Cataldo were particularly <laughs> strong when it came down to it. Dropped by Rizovic and Campanaz, yeah. I think on the last ascent of the Chorovo. I think, Ch- Yes, I think that or was it on the descent? Was,
0: yeah, that's true. Just before the... uh top of that climb, he got dropped just on the top. Like, literally, he was 10 meters behind on the top. Yeah. And Campanards dove into the descent, put pressure on Riesebeg. But just getting a bit backwards there, I want to talk about the fact that I was like, I saw Cataldo responding to the three-man group, including Torres, for a moment there. And I was like, yeah, oh, Morphistar, right. what are you doing? But then again, <laughs> I could have also like thought, well, perhaps they know that Torres is never going to follow these two. Yeah, and then the question is, why did Torres react? Perhaps because he was in the best position and was the first to react to that attack by Camponards. Ah, I don't know if I can blame them for this necessarily, but it just wasn't the he optimal. He might have just outcome. been trying to bridge. Yeah, he might perhaps. have just been
1: trying to bridge with with Quinton Hernandez as well at the same time. Um, but it starts raining really, really heavily. So it's been dry. Starts. Bucketing down, we see it on the breakaway first. Peloton's 15 minutes behind, and we've got the race situation with 11 cases to go of Kampanac and Rysabek. So Kampanac's the TT guy and looking a little bit better than Rysabek on the technical sections, I think, but Rysabek with the better sprint, do you think, on paper, behind them, they've got still Consoni, Van Hocker, Catalo, Moloma I think Dries de Bont had been dropped at that point, as well as the other two Quebec riders, Quentin Jaramans, Nicky Sant and Torres were sort of oh, three, four seconds ahead of uh, the Consoni group. Yep. And event- eventually, I think Riesebeck and Campanats just started attacking each other, first with, well... Campana's accelerated on the descent and on a couple of times trying to gap Riesebeck and he just dangled like 10 10 metres in front of him or 15 metres in front of him and then eventually Riesebeck would close it with 10 k's to go. They've only got like 25 seconds, 20 seconds on a group that had two Movistar riders in it, Cataldo and Torres. And you think, well, if they mess around now, I mean, 8 k's, they're going to get closed down. They didn't. Riesebeck still then then attacked Campanaz, what did you make of Riesebeck attacking Campanaz, Benji, when, I mean, Campanaz bars, can, I don't even know if he can sprint
0: properly. I don't know. I, f- I don't know whether one is better at a sprint than the other, but I know that Riesebeck, he's got a pretty decent history in in the hill race. I think he got chopped in in Brabant Sapel, and he was lost in the sprint of that group, though. So perhaps he just completely doesn't trust the sprint. And if he knows from his history that, every single sprint he wrote, he failed in doing so, then I get that he attacked. I I don't know enough about the both of them in a sprinty situation because they barely get into those situations. So it's very hard to say, oh, this person is going to win. But that does play into the mental uh, game here because Rizabek showed that he doesn't trust a sprint by that Zach. And that might give Campanards the opinion that, okay, perhaps I just need to follow now. But then again, he also started attacking Riesebeek. So I think they both just weren't confident of their sprint. And that's understandable for riders that don't sprint. Like, I don't think I've seen either of them in a reduced bunch sprint or reduced group sprint at any point in their career so far. And a rider like Campanards, who made the move from time tralist, hasn't gotten in that opportunity yet. A rider like Riesebeek, who's been performing well, but never really is in the group that makes it and never is good enough to being the decisive Argens or, or anything, stuff like that, ah, it's just a bit of an unknown. So they, they started making that move. And while these two were attacking each other, and to be honest, whenever they attacked, there was a 10-meter gap be- between them for like a good two minutes until yeah. they caught each other again. <laughs> it, was it was really th- funny.
1: It was like when two... Um ex-prize fighters who are now like a little bit past it and are 40 years old they're in a 12 round boxing match and they're both so tired that they can't defend but they're also too tired to knock each other out and they're just like swinging wildly yeah. at each other it's like hitting each at other the in end the of- face that was that was always yeah. happening attack attack and then they're like i'm too tired to close but you're too tired to keep the gap open
0: <laughs> just stop deadly yeah it's a, it's a very very bad comparison but I feel like it reminded me of the moments when when Heyman and Tom Bonin were sprinting after each other in that Roubaix that Heyman eventually won. The the attacks that Heyman and Bonin were doing in those last kilometers, those are the kind of attacks that Campanards and Nierzebeek were doing here. Just never trying to get away, but nah.
1: Never disrespect Matt Heyman like that
0: ever again <laughs> on this podcast. I had Grossly. to do it man. I had to do it. But one of All the right. things that, one of the details that I want to put in here is that in the group behind, their chase was ah, not going too well. One of the lotto riders was gone. Uh, they came closer a bit once. The first two riders, after they attacked each other, decided like, okay, Hedizabek is not taking over from Arts anymore. Very early on. 16, like,
1: 16 seconds with like exactly. three Ks to go.
0: And yeah. there was this corner that the second group goes into and Moloma just straight up matrixes himself out of crashing he, he jackknifed himself Are crazy how he saved himself like really looking at that in slow motion there when i saw that i was like he's crashing he's crashing how did he not crash
1: how he did he nearly, not crash? He nearly crashed the whole chase group, and the chase <laughs> pretty much stopped afterwards. Yeah. He's like oversteered to, to the left, and then it's like bucked his bike, and he's flicked his whole bike. Then hor- he's now horizontal with the road with all the guys behind <laughs> him, and he's running back like when a, on a highway when a truck jackknifes. And he's, yeah, as Pidgey said, I don't know how he held it up, but that goes to show probably how tired they were, wet roads, freshly wet roads, and that was pretty much the oomph. Out of the chase, and now we've just got Campanatz still oomph. in Riesabek with the, the oomph out of the chase. With two K's to go, Chase is, uh, uh Riesabek and Campanatz have got 10, 14 seconds. It's still hovered, been stable. These guys have, they'd attacked each other. Campanatz is then speaking to him, saying, Oh, should we just ride it in, I guess, because we've got the chase behind, and the chase wasn't gaining on them. So we know they're going clear. I think the Riesabek, Riesabek attacks Campanatz again, then Campanatz does one. Big last attack, I think, with 2.8 Ks to go, or maybe even less. A big attack from Campanats, and he holds the gap for a little bit. Eventually, Riesebeck gets back to him, and so we're under the flam Rouge. Campanats freshly attacked, he's leading it out. We've got at the last corner about 300 meters to go. We're thinking Riesebeck's got to have this, he's a better sprinter, I thought, on paper. Campanats has got to be more tired now, surely. Riesebeck getting the lead out too opens up his sprint with Campinas looking at him with, like, 300 metres to go. Campinas gaps him. Campinas claws his way back to Recepic's wheel, gets the draft, and eventually Recepic runs out of steam with, like, 50, 60 metres from the line, and Campinas is able to just continue sprinting and wins by over a bike length, his first grand tour stage win, this stage 15 of the Giro d'Italia, an absolute slugfest in the break, and I think... He saw in the interview afterwards, Rizabek was rightly disappointed. He completely stuffed up the finale and um, I think he knew that, which is a shame for him. But yeah, anything, I mean, how do you think he should have played that final 500 meters, Benji?
0: Well, I don't think he should have launched the 300 meters to go. Like, that's the one mistake that's like obvious, I think. And it also surprised me that he launched early because from the attack that Rizabek did beforehand, he always gapped Campanard's and perhaps Kampenarts was like keeping himself on a bit of a gap on purpose, but I doubt he would do that. The thing is, when Kampenarts attacked, he also gapped Rizabek. So it's it's very difficult to say what would have happened if he waited until 200 meters to go, because then Rizabek would have been able to have that initial kick that I think he's a tiny bit better at than Kampenarts. But would Kampenarts have enough time to come back and crawl over him? I feel like Rizabek still sat up very early, so he was probably done for. But I just think that those two riders had their opportunity of this duo. and I think that Rizaveek said in the interview afterwards, very disappointingly, like you mentioned, um, the exact words in the following uh, Yeah, this the, uh, it feels like this might have been a, a once in- a lifetime opportunity, but I'm not so sure about that. If she can top 10 Bravo on Sapel, then you can get into more. Yeah decisive breaks or breakaways i don't believe that's it's, it's a one-time thing you can do more than that and i think that of Velta would fit his type of character pretty well but i don't think he's gonna have too many grand tours with so many breakaways <laughs> that's for that's sure that's the
1: thing yeah before we read out the top 10 results big shout out to our show partner lecole if you're listening to the podcast you can get 20 off on all items including already discounted items using the code lrcp20 to get 20 off that's LRCP 20 all caps through the link down below. I'll do the top 10 results. We started recording this before the Peloton had even crossed the line, but here we are. The top <laughs> 10 <laughs> results now Theresa Beck, and then winning the bunch sprint behind was Nicky Assant. I thought as like, he was always going to be the quickest man, I thought that he just was unlucky with them. Uh, yeah, two riders staying away Consoni fourth, Herman's fifth, Cataldo sixth. Monoma 7th, then Torres, Molano, Valdshan to make up the top 10. In to terms of GC, no changes except Bookman now moving out, going into tomorrow's stage, uh, which is supposed to be a GC stage. So Bernal, 90 seconds ahead of Yates, 150 ahead of Caruso, 157 ahead of Vlasov, 211 ahead of Carthy, Ciccone at 3, Evan, Paul, 352, Martinez knocking on the door 354, and Foss 537, Volta 749, and Martin. still competing for GC, according to himself, and ISN. Yes, Benji?
0: Well, I want to do a a very quick discussion on Chiclamino. So, at the start of the stage, we have Sagan, who says, yeah, I don't want to go in the break. Well, he didn't say that. I don't want to have the team pace because, well, I'm going to play defensively for Chiclamino, which is, I think, technically a very good choice, considering... We have that year I think twenty eighteen that the Marwen didn't actually try to get the Peloton another stage win towards the end of the year when then he ended up giving the Chiclamino away to Wackerman. So I think that there's definitely a risk that you take once you have your team paced like that and perhaps he didn't have the confidence that he was going to beat Chimula at the end. So I'm we'll give it yeah, exactly. But currently the points in that classification are 135 for Sagan, 113 for Chimolai, and 110 for Gaviria. Has Sagan won
1: Uh Probably. I mean, I don't know where the points are. Uh, is he going to go for the points tomorrow? Probably let a break take up all the points. Mm-hmm. It's. I think that's going to be a strategy, right? Just let all, the breaks, big breaks, take all yep. the uh, Chiclamino points. I mean, yeah, I don't really see, I don't really see anyone usurping. I agree. Him. So yeah, it's pretty much over with a whimper, uh, which is a bit of a shame because the has acted as the Chiclino race kind of nullified the stage today, and it, I get it, bored it on a pace and then look like idiots if Sagan loses and then loses Chiclamino to Gavira or whatever. But yeah, it's a bit of a shame. Uh, but tomorrow's stage. The big one, the hardest stage in cycling so far this year and probably all year from Sacile Sacile to Cortina d'Ampezzo. 212 kilometers long, 5,500 meters climbing, rain and cold predicted. They start the La Crozetta climb, 11.5k, 7.1% with that crest with 26 k's to go, there'll be a break surely at that point. The Ciclomino sprint is with 91 k's done, so maybe Sagan could get over that climb with a break. They're going to then do the Passo Fadaya, which is 14 k's at seven and a half percent. Now I'm just trying to remember, Benji. I think that one from memory is a fake news climb. I'm just going to go into my little little archive of Stage 16 climb one, <laughs> and it is. It is. I was correct. I'm seeing a lot of black. From 10Ks to 14Ks, so the last 4Ks, 11, 11, 12, 11% gradient, and the start is not so hard. So hopefully we see some action on that. Hopefully. There's a descent, Paso Porto 12K, 6.5%. That's much more regular. Valley, and then the climb up to Paso, Xiao, uh, 10Ks, 9.5%, a little bit more regular than for Daya, and then a descent into quartina del Pezzo of about 2018 kilometers flat finish i don't know i'm going with simon yates for the stage win benji
0: okay you're going with simon yates for the stage win i want to talk about bahrain for a bit so i think my general preview pick for the stage was bilbao back in the day because indeed we were thinking about a similar kind of format of a stage in the tour of the alps where they descend towards the line where bilbao had that crazy descent yes but Caruso is on the podium right now, and I think that's that's trouble for him. That might cause that opportunity to get away. I'd love Bilbao to win the stage. I just i am not sure he's going to get the freedom in that, because if Caruso can podium this race, I don't know if you would send Bilbao in the breakaway. Then again, would you send him in the breakaway as a satellite rider? I'd love to see that scenario happen. I think that...
1: Ineos in would just chase it.
0: I think that I want to go pretty Yolo on this stage. I think that pff, it's really hard to say that Caruso is going to win the stage, though. He doesn't have the finish quality, <laughs> but I'd love to see him win a race. <laughs> how? Ah, how he,
1: how he's never doing
0: is. it. <laughs> he's better at the, the Actually, stages with like, multiple climbs. That That's for certain. Like He's better at that than he was at a climb like Zoncolon, for example, with a single finish at the end. But the stage has that climb at the start. And that means that I see a large breakaway getting away. I do not believe the GC riders are gonna get the stage. Despite really the magical climbs in it. I believe a breakaway is gonna win it. And who are we looking at if the breakaway does win? And that's a really difficult question, isn't it? I am going to say a name as uh, well. First of all, I don't think Dan Martin's going to win from a breakaway because he's still too close in GC to do so. And if I have Fabro, to say... Fabro, Fabro.
1: Bookman's gone. Fabro. That's got to be it.
0: How's this descending? I don't know.
1: It doesn't matter. He's so small, so good on the climbs. I, I, <laughs> he's so be, small, be... you
0: won't see him descend.
1: <laughs> Fabro and Groszadner surely will be going in the break tomorrow with Bookman out. That, that's nailed on. I'm going Fabro or... Yeah, I'm going Fabro. I'm, t- okay. I'm cancelling Yates because I actually think Bernal's way stronger than him. I just I like to flat <laughs> flat finish for Yates in the descent. But yeah, Fabro <laughs> Fabro so, on the
0: break. Let me get this straight. You presented a rider for me to pick and then you stole the pick yourself?
1: <laughs> Correct, because you were kind of iffy about it. You were talking about his descending. I've got full confidence yeah. in Matteo. Okay, okay, okay.
0: <laughs> well, the Koenig said they wanted to go for stage wins, but to be honest, I think that Almeida still to close in GC, but I'm not so sure about that. How close is Almeida? 8.50. 8,
1: like he could get, if he attacks on Paso Jao, I don't think any else would care too much.
0: Almeida wins the stage. <laughs> I'm still going to regret this, but Almeida <laughs> wins the stage.
1: <laughs> okay. Well, Hopefully it's a good one. And this is the next topic, Benji and I, the last one we wanted to talk about. And a lot of people have been saying a lot of breakaways winning the, at this Euro. Surely RCS cannot be happy with. I, I don't understand it, Benji. They've scheduled this stage for the Monday. And they've had, uh, let's be frank, today's stage is one of the most boring stages I've watched this year in cycling. Like, I, I don't really, it loses its novelty seeing a massive break of guys that are not even the second or third strongest on their teams going and fighting it out, at, you know, and the GC riders being 15 minutes behind. It's fine a few days, but it's been a lot. And to have that on the Sunday and then you've got Cortina Dampetto on the Monday, I feel like they have missed something there, RCS, and then Teams as well, Ineos. You know, we want to ride differently. We want to ride differently because the Grenadier way. It's like, mate, the Grenadier. Like no one's buying that. Why can't Moscone and Narvaez go on the break today?
0: Today, why would they? They've got the Magalera to win the stage they because they want to, they want to ride
1: differently. Ben, they want to ride differently, Benji. I'm not saying they should, but that is they, what they've put out to the public. We want they, to ride they differently. On Montalcino, how?
0: They attacked on the first Stelardo section. I've never seen a team including Froome do that in the past. And again, I've never seen him ride. On, I did that on a fucking sterato section on the Call of Finestre. Damn it. <laughs> Nate,
1: they, they by ride differently, they mean allowing riders to go for stages whilst also competing for GC like they did in the Giro last year. We've seen none of that.
0: I, I don't, don't believe that Ineos deserves to be criticized for riding the most clever way they can to win the race. Of course not. But then don't lie. That's true
1: don't put out in the press that we ride in this aggressive way like no you come on you attack with with Bernard with 300 meters to go on song on clan they like,
0: do on uh, the races that they're not the leader in though but that's obvious it's logical like yeah that's, of course they're doing the yeah, right thing exactly
1: and of course tomorrow like yeah don't send more another ice in the break because you want to you know on the off chance they get tired or crash you then look you're down a man for danny uh, martinez the, the big stage tomorrow yeah danny martinez well Okay, do they use Danny Martinez tomorrow as a satellite rider? Do they attack
0: with him or they pace with him? The thing is, who against? Because in the past, it would be against Quickstep, for example. I don't think Quickstep is in the game for GC anymore, so those won't react. So will it be Bahrain responding to Danny Martinez coming? Yates, or
1: Yates the, is the big threat.
0: Or Yeah. Are they going to would- offer up Nick Schultz, a rider that... Could also be in the breakaway as a satellite rider for Yates. I don't know.
1: If I'm Ineos tomorrow, I want to test the other teams on Paso João or earlier with um, with Danny Martinez. I want to test them because Mikel Nieve, Nick Schultz, what do you got? Can you chase back Danny Martinez? Maybe Simon Yates is going to have to do it himself. I think it's a really good strategy to use Martinez in that way. Vlasov, who's he going to have chase for him as well? Carthy and Ruben Guerrero is out now one of his main guys in the mountains he just uh dnf today so i'd use martinez aggressively i think it put a lot of pressure on the other teams no. to chase bahrain would have been the team to chase but landis not here anymore so yeah. uh, do so
0: they, they, they're losing left and right as well and there's so many teams that are losing riders Sivakov's not here for any but that's the one team that it's not really hurting because they've still got a very strong team left over without. Sivakov, arguably still the best by, by a, a pretty long shot. And a lot of people were saying Vincenzo Nibali for the stage. While my heart would love that, I have a hard time believing that he's going to survive the climbs.
1: <laughs> I love him, exactly. but isn't I don't it, see it happening. Isn't he better on the longer days where it's lower watts per kilo on each climb, but a mm-hmm. long, hard day? He's really good at recovering
0: between climbs. That's what I thought his
1: talents always been.
0: Technically, yes. But what is he going to do? Is he just going to leave Chicone? Squabbling on the beach,
1: yes, <laughs> yes, I think he would do that <laughs> to go for the stage win. Uh, so hopefully we see that tomorrow. I um, love it, right. Chicone, I mean, he's climbing well. I, I think we might see descent if they're all together over Passagiall. God forbid, we'll see descent attacks from either Yates or Chicone or Neveley, Bartay. Yeah, that's what we can expect. Hopefully, it doesn't come to that, and there's more action earlier on in the stage. But I, um, what do you
0: want? Yeah, any last thoughts, Benji? I recall there being a technical descent on the Fidaya, or was it Fidaya? I think it was Fidaya, and that could be a place where a team like Astana could try and hammer it in the descent and yeah. see if they can get an opportunity there. They were able to isolate just Bernal with one teammate last time they did that on a descent that wasn't necessarily the technical one on paper because I didn't see it coming on that one, but people have been talking about Fidaya's descent, but... I haven't checked if it's actually technical, but if that's the case, then I wouldn't be surprised if Star like who's like on the first of the three climbs, which oh, on that moment, I'd love it because they're not pacing an entire stage to prepare for a single climb. They're doing one action in a descent that is not blatantly obvious beforehand. Stuff like that, you know?
1: Yeah, hopefully. Um, I'm being a bit disappointed so far this year, so I'm hoping tomorrow is exciting and opens up early. Maybe a starter could be the team to do that. But If you're watching on YouTube, that's all from us today. If you're listening on Podcast Players, we'll continue on now with our Weltra Burgos Stages 3 and 4 recaps. Thanks for staying with us here with Benji Nison for the recap of Weltra Burgos Femina Stages 3 and For first stage three, not the biggest GC day, but a tough finish nonetheless, 117 Ks. It really kicks off with the Alto de la Soya, 3.3 Ks at 6%, but it's got a steep kicker. Oh no, it's actually pretty consistent. It gets a bit steeper at the end, but it's a false summit. Then a ridge line, another little kicker, descent, then an uncategorized 4% climb of 3.3 Ks. And the finish is the Ojo Guareña. 1.2K is 4.9%, but it's very irregular, the gradients. It's like 4%, then 8%, 4%, then 7%, then flat at the end. So we weren't expecting big GC gaps by any means. Just a reminder what the GC positions were going into this stage. Elise Shabby in the leaders jersey for Canyon Shram Fisher Black, and Grace Brown second and third on the same time as her. Uh, which is weird because I thought Brown had lost time the other day. Nonetheless, the, the interesting thing about the way GC was set up going into this stage was that none of those three riders are the ultimate leaders for their teams. Shabby Niviodoma would be her leader, Fisher Black, Van would be her leader, and Brown would be riding for Spratt because of Naya, uh, Laguna Stenaya in stage four. That's just one thing to bear in mind. But how did this stage kick off Benji when we did manage to get live coverage?
0: We're good 21 kilometers and roughly we got the start of the uh, live coverage. And we saw an attack directly, honestly, by an FDG rider by Cicely de And she was responded to by multiple riders, Royakers for Live. And we also had Fisher Black for SD Works. Now, that attack, they all seem to be working together. We saw that the Royakers was taking the front on the climb as well. This was all on that Alto de las Hoyas, pretty much near the top. And we also had uh, Fisher Black taking a few turns on that. Utrecht Ludwig did the initial attack stayed a bit to the back just after that and then started working as well but to be honest that attack didn't really go too far because uh the group behind was starting to uh base behind those three riders and eventually they got caught back but if the J wasn't ready yet they were like Mah, let's try again but not with Utrecht Ludwig because well you can't just attack every single second with the same rider so evita music young french rider on their team decided to uh try and make a very similar move. And Stilton was one to react on that attack. And unfortunately for those two, they stayed away for a tiny bit, but eventually they got caught again. And I think we saw multiple other attacks in the last 15 kilometers, including one from, uh, I think, first of all, Taylor Wiles. I think Caroline uh, Canwell was responding to that one, but also she also responded to the attack afterwards, which was from Elise Shabby. But eventually, well, Shabby also got caught going into the last... Uh, a pull section really, didn't they?
1: Well, Shabby, she kept attacking. She did tomorrow, today, tomorrow as well in stage four. She was very aggressive, perhaps knowing, okay, I'm not good enough to hang with the best on Laguna de So she's trying to gain as much time as possible. Even that final climb, she's probably a little bit worried about. And, yeah, it kind of did affect, though, her ability to compete for the win at the end of this stage. We then had Grace Brown, who's up there on GC, Pretty much sacrificed her chance for the stage win. I would have really liked to see what she could have done going for the stage win herself because this climb, 1.2k 5%, yes, it's a bit, you know, undulating. But sorry, I've never seen Spratt in the last little while have the punch to beat Navidad and Co. on this finish. And I think Brown. Might actually, if there was a bit of a lull, she's someone that's difficult to bring back. We saw that the other day. Anyway, she was smashing it. They've caught Shabby. We know the Peloton's going to win the stage And The question is who? Someone we'd need need a punch at the end, but still it's pretty flat at the end. They need to be able to maintain that sprint. And the group was very, very large as well. So... It was, yeah, Grace Brown from like 600 metres all the way to almost 150, 200 metres to go. They got a left-hand bend. Nudia Doma kicks up out of her wheel, the GC leader for Canyon Shram. She's marked by Ludwig. We can't see. I couldn't see anywhere uh, von der Bregen at all, Benji. It was actually... The, the riders we were, we were expecting to be right there weren't on the wheels of Ludwig and Noviadoma, Doma, especially Van Luyten, et etc. So they weren't really contesting the sprint. Longa Borghini is on Ludwig's wheel, and Ludwig kicks out of the wheel to the inside of Noviadoma, And we see as it changes to the overhead shot, she gaps Elisa Longa Borghini, and the speed difference you could see she is going to win that stage. She's clipped it up into a big, big gear, and she's sprinting to the line with clear air. Behind her, almost she actually gaps the peloton just about. Cecilia Ustrup Ludwig and she wins her first ever World Tour race for FTG Nouvelle Aquitaine Futuroscope. Big win for her. She won ten races. She won Giro d'Italia. Similar finish, yeah. Similar finish. She just bided her time. The twenty-five year old and great to see her win one of the most popular riders in male or female peloton. Very, very well known. And uh, yeah, we were happy to see her win and to be beating the best as well. It's not like Amelia, where great win, but here she's beaten Nivia Doma, Van der Bregen, Vol- all the names: Vollering, Garcia, Van Vleuten, Moorman. So she's beaten the best of the best, gapped even some of them. What do you think of her, Benji, Cecilia utturber Do you think she's always. I, th- I just think she is a better stage racer and uh, she just is hampered by the lack of these
0: sort of races on the uh, on the calendar, personally. Yeah, I think as well, I think the stage did suit her a bit, but I wasn't really seeing her as the all-out favourite on this terrain because, like, we saw in Emilia that she had a kick, but that kick happens after a very steep section on, on the uh, Bologna climb, whatever it's called. But here we've got finish that is not necessarily the steepest leading up to a a hilly sprint so i was not necessarily expecting her to be coming out of this with gapping the other riders i was honestly not even looking at her as like the favorite to finish this so i'm really impressed by the kick she had on this kind of finish i'm really happy for her because quite honestly it's amazing that she's finally got that w after so much trying and getting so close so much but she never really had that that finished to try and beat a rider that she's with and so forth. And now she basically just punched away on the final sprint. So really wonderful, wonderful performance. And, uh, well, she was moving up in GC as well accordingly because uh, uh, I'll let you read Trudia GC in yeah. a second.
1: Here's a t- I've already pretty much read the top 10 yeah, results. Here's the GC though, Nefisher Black moving up. And Shabby losing the leaders jersey. So, Fisher Black goes into stage four wearing a leaders jersey, same time as Grace Brown, two seconds ahead of Nivia Doma, Longoborghini, Ludwig, and Van der Breggen. Five seconds back is following Mulman, Paladin, and Anna Santesteban. Van Vleuten as well on five seconds at 12th on GC. So, SD Works had. One, two, three, four riders in the top 10 on GC going into the final stage, the famous climb up to Laguna de where we've seen Sosa win a couple of times, Miguel Angel Lopez as well back in the day. That's a 121K stage. Unfortunately, live coverage only started with 4Ks to go, which is <laughs> Really, really disappointing, actually. Um, oh, so sad. But yeah, he, he is the profile in full. It's a few rolling climbs beforehand, but then it's all about the final climb, 12K, 6.3%, but it's a fake news climb. The first nine Ks are, yeah, nothing. There's 1K at 8%, but the rest are like 4 5%, including a flatter section in the middle. And the last three Ks are 9.7, 9.5, 11.3, including 16% pinches. So... I mean, we did get the main part of the race, but the live coverage starts, Benji. And correct me if I'm wrong, it's, it's chaos. There's Spratt up the road, the leader for Bike Exchange, 32 seconds back from Fisher Black on GC. We've got a group in the middle, and we've got SD Works pacing behind. Um, I think there was Alrud as well in the Amanda Spratt group. And yeah, exactly was- as well for SD Shack- Works. That's correct, yeah. Shackley. Who was pacing
0: for who was pacing in group three
1: chasing behind?
0: Well it was his D works, like you said, and it was one by one, so Molompasia was pacing for an entire while, then it ended up being Volring as well, pacing in that group Finn Fisher Black. No, that's not, that's the wrong Fisher Black. Nee Fisher Black is the other way around. <laughs> uh knee Fisher Black was also pacing for a bit, but she actually got dropped by her own team basically pacing on the climb itself. So it looked like they completely gave up about four kilometers from the line on the classification of Fisher Black and decided, nah, we got to fix this was, because Allroot in the breakaway <laughs> was going to take the jersey if they didn't catch them, or at least didn't close down the gap a bit more. So they had to put some pacing on going because Shackley in the breakaway, she obviously sat on because if she's working with Allroot, then Allroot might get the jersey that they're trying to win. And Shackley is not as good as a climber as Alred in my honest opinion. And that was clearly seen by the fact that I think she was one of the first ones to drop, which means that perhaps she dropped out of not being able to follow, or they called her back to try and help out with the people behind. Kind of a satellite rider kind of deal. And eventually, I think Aldred and the rally rider in that group that I forgot the name of. Coppenberg. Yes, Koppenberg, my bad. Um, They ended up riding alone, but the gap was like a minute 20 with four kilometers to go. I was like, a minute 20, that's... A lot, but then again, it gets very steep here. So, if they keep on smashing the pedals with the entire SD Works team at the front of that group, then this is probably going to get won by the elite group behind. And slowly but surely, that evolved, and those SD Works riders were spent one by one until we had Volering as the last women ahead of Anna van der Bregen. Van Vleuten in the wheel. We saw that Cecilia Tripladui was having severe trouble following and suddenly cracked. She was unable Long to follow. gone. Exactly. And eventually that led to Vollering, Vanderbreggen, and Von Vlurten, all three up the road.
1: It was like Benji, well, like the two Schlecks and Contador, or <laughs> Richie Port with Froome with yes, one Richie other Poole rider. It, it was crazy. Vollering was absolutely smashing Laburnas naja. And Benji and I, we probably underrated her yeah. a little bit the other day. We Sorry, were like, uh, Vollering off, oh, you know, just a more of a Voss-type character, but today, legit climber we saw today. And if she was riding her own race, who knows how well she could have done. She seemed to like riding a steady pace, like those accelerations. She dropped back a little bit, but then when people slowed up, she would cash back up, and that's what happened. She eventually dropped off. Van der Breggen's pacing then with Van Vleuten on the wheel, and the GC situation really defines how this was raced because Van der Breggen was three seconds ahead of Van Vleuten on GC, which I think really changed things. It meant that Van der rode defensively. She just set her own pace, like we see her see her do on the Murder Wee years and years and years, setting her own pace on the steep sections. No one can attack off that pace. Van Vleuten, invisible discomfort behind her, needing to make up. I think, I assume there were stage bonuses, Benji, although I can't see them in the line. Uh, I can't see any-
0: I don't think they have them because I think yesterday Grace Brown was surprised that there were no. Stage bonuses and uh yeah,
1: right. Okay, well, with no stage bonuses, that means that Van Lunteren to win GC would need to gap Van der Breggen by more than three seconds. So that's why Van der Breggen then is is running that pace. She's dropped following, but then she slows up a bit. She sees, okay, I'll just I can do my own thing. Van Lunteren's not going to attack me. Following catches back up, starts pacing again. They catch back up to Allerud and Koppenberg, the last remnants of the breakaway. had attacked, then got dropped, and then Following keeps pacing for a bit. Eventually drops off, and then it's van der Breggen for the last, I don't know, 800 metres, 700 metres, pace, pace, pace. We see van Vleuten trying to click it into a big gear in the last 100 metres, thinking about the final sprint. Okay, how is she going to at least go for the stage? And she mustn't have felt as good as van der Breggen. Benji must have been a fierce pace because she needed to have attacked even earlier to gain those four seconds she needed to win GC. Eventually attacks Vanderbreggen in the last corner with 50 metres to go. Vanderbregen, who's in a quite a light gear, actually, immediately kicks up out of the saddle and beats Van Vleuten in the final sprint to take the stage pretty comfortably, actually. And here's the final top 10 results from the stage. Four Dutch women <laughs> in the top five. <laughs> Vanderbregen first, Van Vloyten same time, Vollering third. Unbelievable performance from her, 20 seconds back. Roy fourth, Koppenberg is fifth, Adelwood sixth, Ludwig seventh, Mulman eighth. Grace Brown, ninth, Benji, beating Amanda Spratt by eight seconds. Spratt rounding up the top ten. Doma and Longo Bodeghini dropping quite a lot, actually. So the final GC is pretty interesting. Van in first, Van Leuten second. Well, it's pretty – Kopenberg <laughs> and Alred have moved up, Benji, to fourth yeah. and fifth on GC from being in the break. Grace Brown drops down five positions. We wonder if there'd been stage bonus – if there'd been stage bonuses – and no. if they, it, but if yeah, there okay. had, if, yeah. if had been, and if Bike Exchange rode for Brown the other day, uh, yesterday on stage three, she probably would have finished fourth. But anyway, she's seventh, Mulman eighth, Rianka's ninth, Nividoma tenth. So maybe a bit of a surprising GC there with Brown up there in Kloppenberg and Allard. But what do you make of this race overall, Benji? Any any other thoughts from the Laguna Denier stage as well? Do we need more of these sort of finishes?
0: I really enjoyed the race, to be honest, but oh, it, it, I have to be honest, if, if I tune into a race and it's 4.7 kilometers to go from the second that I tune in, my attention on it tunes off a bit. And that's sad because I was really hyped about the Lagunas de Naya finish, and we basically got four kilometers of climbing. So I'm genuinely disappointed about it, and it did turn me off to, for, the, for the watching experience. And it was apparently because they miscalculated the average speed. Uh, to about 32 kilometers which is a pretty hefty mistake i'd say but in the end i guess it's a human mistake so i don't really want to want to curse the the person that accidentally miscalculated because i I probably made some math mistakes in my life as well but nonetheless it it does highlight the fact that we only got a limited amount of footage every time and every it's second tough. it goes wrong to the sense that it reduces the listening the, the watching experience then Ah, oh, it really sucks. And it's hard to it's hard to discuss it as well because I'd love to talk about how a team is taking on the full Lagunas and Nayak climb and how the attacks of the people that were in front happened and where they attacked and so forth. But the only thing we can base it off is is tweets. And to be honest, from tweets themselves, I have a hard time like yeah. imaging what happened.
1: It's really hard to draw firm conclusions about okay, what will bike exchange trying to achieve by sending Sprat up the road etc I mean we can guess but Benji and I both like to actually watch what's going on because often we draw different conclusions to what maybe people you know you're having that extra human error or different point of view subjectivity saying what's happening but that's different when it's like okay in group is yada 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 40 seconds that's, that's helpful etc but yeah, it, it makes it really tough to make a podcast and that's why we had to combine these two podcasts because we, we can't make – we're not going to make an eight-minute, six-minute podcast each day for each stage and we're already trying to – I don't know. to I, I don't want compl- to complain too much. I don't want to complain too much but then again, there is a requirement for 40 minutes or more of footage for each Women's World Tour race. And sure, they miscalculated, but geez, it was a big miscalculation. And and I'd want to know, what's the marginal cost difference? Like you have to get all the equipment out there. You get all the systems set up for 20 minutes. (laughs) Like how much extra does it cost to do it for a bit longer? I don't – if it's all being streamed by OTT to GCN or Eurosport, they already have to say to the commentators they got doing it, paying them for however long, like they've already got their afternoon set up and they've booked in, this is what I'm doing today. I don't think it really makes much difference to them. And I'm sure GCN would like to have more footage, not their fault, or Eurosport, um, to have two hours or whatever. I think,
0: what do you mean? Could it not be that there's, the broadcasters are not necessarily buying up the larger broadcasting or am I just assuming something random here?
1: Um... I don't know. It depends whether they're paying for Vuelta or Burgos or not. The thing is, maybe they are for Burgos because it's a standalone race, so it doesn't get bundled. I know with Flanders Classics, the women's gets bundled and they don't make any money off it. Uh, But Burgos is a standalone event. I assume they're paying for it, whether they're demanding two hours of footage or not. I don't know. I'm sure if they funded it, then... The host broadcaster or the race organiser would be happy to show it as well, so I don't know, but I'd be, I'd be keen to see a little bit more. It's tough with the Giro on as well. One with neat resources are stretched a little bit thin. But anyway, it was a great race. Good to see a proper winning stage race. I know we like the Healthy Aging Tour, but it's great to have one with some proper nasty climbs in it and some varied terrain. Bundabreggen, I can't believe she's retiring. Next year, pretty crazy. The next it women's hurts. race is c- coming up. I'm trying to see on the calendar, Benji, well, to watch out for. We've got La Course. La Course, the next one is the next one day race, 26th of June. So we've got about a month until the next women's one day race, and then another month until San Sebastian. I think the next stage race is the ladies tour of Norway and Simak ladies tour. When's Dura Rosa in-
0: again? Because uh, it's now not, not oh, well yeah. tour anymore, but I think yeah. it's somewhere in the middle of of july like uh, start of july True. something i remember that vaguely but anyway it it's uh, a race we're looking forward to as well like we try and cover july. all uh, male and female world to races uh we'd love to do more but i think if we would then we'd stretch ourselves so teen we might not even survive the world tour ones so i think that what we're working with is is a pretty good thing and sometimes we might make exceptions but I think it's best that we for now keep it to the kind of races that we're following because yeah, we need to make sure that the content is qualitative and not only quantitative, you know?
1: Exactly. All right. That's enough from us today. We hope you enjoyed the podcast. And if you did leave us a like or down below or, Hit us up with some questions on Twitter. There have been a few sleepy Giro stages at the moment, so we'd be more than happy to answer any questions you have through hashtag LRCP or the comments on the YouTube videos. But that's all from us. We'll see you with stage recaps tomorrow. Ciao.